Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Hey there. If you're new to this podcast, you may not know this about me, but if you've been listening for a while, you will know this, that I am a gigantic believer in the power of a well-written and spoken mission statement. So this episode made my heart very happy because we ended up talking a lot about mission statements, why people hate them, why so many suck, and why it's worth it to develop a mission statement that you and your whole organization loverized a little bit. My guest on this episode, Dean Newland, even shares his secret sauce for how to develop a remarkable mission statement. So that's pretty darn fun because we get to compare and contrast a little bit. Now, before I intro you to Dean, I want to say a few more things about mission statements. Okay, one, why did I say remarkable, right? I said how to develop a remarkable mission statement because that means something that people will remark upon. Yeah, I know it sounds dumb. <laughs> like it's remarkable, Erica. But we often think of remarkable as being like jazzy or shiny or something like that. But what you're going for with a mission statement is something that makes folks go, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. So they can figure out how they feel about your mission. And if there's alignment, they will remark upon it. Okay. So remarkable. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind as you're listening to this. Two, as you'll hear in this episode, I have a super specific way I approach creating mission statements honed over the years. Dean has his way. With mine, we start with verbs and then we add nouns and then maybe some adjectives. I am a fan of short mission statements, ideally 10 words or less. Dean is okay with longer mission statements. There isn't a right or wrong on this point, okay? What matters is that you are clear and your organization or your company is clear on the job you want your mission statement to do for you. So be listening for that because I'll say more about it in the episode. But you may be asking your mission statement to do a job it can't do. Okay, so that happens all the time. So I want you to be listening for that, definitely. And it's a huge bummer when your mission statement is trying to do a job it can't do because then it, by definition, misses the mark and that's how a lot of mission statements end up sucking and not doing a good job for you. Okay, if you want to talk more about mission statements, clearly, I really do get worked up about them. Reach out. I could talk about them all day. Now, about my guest, Dean. He is the founder and CEO of Mission Facilitators International, which is a boutique training and development firm with the sole purpose, listen to this, of helping organizations become more connected to their purpose and their people. Yes. Founded in 1992, MFI, as it is lovingly referred to by those in the know, is home to more than a dozen professional coaches, trainers, and strategic planning facilitators. This is interesting. Unlike most other firms where consultants work just with their own clients, MFI members work as a team to facilitating growth for leaders and organizations. Dean has trained and facilitated teams in China, the UK, South America, the Middle East, India, Eastern Europe, Indonesia, United States. 
For years, he had a weekly column on leadership at the Arizona Republic newspaper. He has also authored dozens of articles and white papers and has presented on the TEDx stage in Bend, Oregon in 2019, where he talked about intuition. And he has a podcast, which I have had the honor of being a guest on called The Business of Intuition. Cool name, right? And even a cooler concept once you really start unpacking and thinking about it. So, okay, I don't want you to be worried like, are they only going to talk about mission statements? I don't want to think in you know, or hear about that. No, we talk about a lot of other things. As is always the case on the Marketing for Good podcast, it is a free-ranging conversation. But mission statements are so important for all businesses and organizations. And so I just want to take a moment to expound on them a little bit before diving in. Okay. Speaking of diving in, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Dean Newland. Hi, Dean. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. So, Dean, you are the founder and CEO of Mission Facilitators International, which is a boutique training and development firm based out of Phoenix, Arizona, although I just learned that you are physically based in Bend, Oregon. So I resolved that little mental mystery. So Mission Facilitators International you has the sole purpose of helping organizations become more connected to their purpose and their people. True? True. So I'm curious, out of the gate, how do you define purpose? Hmm. Oh, good starting off question there. Purpose can take on many different forms, but it's on a personal level. I think when I started that exploration around purpose actually was a part of my coaching training way back, like in the 90s. And there was a piece of that training that talked about having people identify what they thought their life purpose was. You know, those big, huge existential question, the navel-gazing exploration of why am I here? What is this life all about? What do I want to contribute? You know, something that was meaningful other than simply catching a paycheck or taking care of others. But, you know, was there some sort of existential question that we were all asking? And I think that's the case. And if it's true of individuals around trying to figure out why we're here on this planet, what this is all about, how do I want to contribute, where do I add the greatest value, then I believe the same is also true for teams and organizations. And so purpose is really that ultimate higher calling that sets into motion energy and focus and goals and strategy and intention, whether it be on an individual level, a team level, an organizational level. And I remember... One time I was doing a, a strategic planning session. You know, it, was a, it was a team development session with a group of people from Weyerhaeuser. And this guy stood up in the middle of this. He says, this has been great. We've really got a lot accomplished, but I still don't know what business we're in. And I thought of all the people who would have a clarity around that particular question, he couldn't answer it. And they had budgets that were very, very healthy. And they were the senior members of this whole group. And what caught me was that there was still a basic question about mission, about purpose, even with those who had all the access to it and had all the privilege for it. So I think that everything falls into place once you have established that purpose. You know, you start setting goals around that. You start aligning resources. You start to know what is inbounds and what is out of bounds. You start to know what I should say yes to versus no to. So it really becomes your North Star. And I think that a lot of us are very much set up to be able to align with that. 
So where did Warehouser land in terms of a business they're in? <laughs> you know what? That we didn't get to. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. But it sparked this, this fascination with me about, at that time, the, the whole process of creating mission statements. And they were so seen as these, you know, very dry, almost, you know, create them and then put them on a bookshelf and never use them again. And I just felt that there was so much more that could be done, not only in terms of what you could accomplish, but the way you could accomplish it, that there was something about how we do what we do was as important as what we do. So the process of mission statement creation was an integral part of, of what this ultimate mission would be. So anyway, a long answer to a short question, but I don't know what they ended up doing. <laughs> we didn't work with them at that point. So, okay, you brought up mission statements. So of course I'm going to go there. All right. Because I believe in mission statements. But they can, I, you know, I'm going to paraphrase what you were saying just now, which is they, they can end up being fairly transactional and uninspiring. And if you're going to take the time to do them, that falls, you know, short of the mark, I would say. So I love mission statements, I think, for many of the same reasons you do, which is that they can bring this clarity and, you know, really serve as a North Star. Now, I use Hildy Gottlieb's very handy, she has this very handy thing that she wrote about uh, in an article a while ago, which is if you add A-R-Y to the end of vision and mission, you get a really clear sense of the purpose of a mission statement. Because I feel like where a lot of organizations and companies go wrong is they're actually not, they're not sure what the mission and vision statements or purpose statements, if you have those, like what their job is, right? They, they kind of lose sight of it. So, so then you bring all these people together and they're like, let's write a mission statement and everybody yawns and rolls their eyes. Right. But if you add A-R-Y to the end of it, so you have visionary, right? So the visionaries are the people who really say, this is where we're going, right? So yep. for me, when I'm working with organizations, I put the Y in the mission and then the mission areas are the people who go out there and they, and they do the work. So that's a little bit more mm. about the what, who, how. Yep. However, if you look at the etymology at the history of the words, mission actually means to originally meant to remove or exchange. I think the religious spiritual sense that exchange piece is actually very interesting. And then later it meant to send. Okay. So still in alignment. So in your experience, I mean, you've worked with Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, educational institutions, family-owned companies in the U.S. and 19 other countries. So I have a two-part question. One, do you think mission statements have a bad rap? <laughs> and what similarities, difference have you, have you seen with different types of companies and cultures around sort of embracing and really leveraging, using that word intentionally, a mission statement? So first question first or answer to that. Yes, I agree that there is a bad rap around mission statements that I don't, I think it's for two reasons. I think that one, you made this comment that people roll their eyes around the idea of doing a mission statement and it doesn't have to be. People roll their eyes or and bring in the analogy. It's sort of like getting your teeth pulled when doing a mission statement. It's because the process is so dry. It just doesn't have much inspiration. And so here we are talking about maybe the most important thing that we're doing. And the process of that conversation is dry. There's something wrong about that. So I think that part of the process or part of the problem with mission statement creation is that we do it in such a way that is uninspiring. We need to engage people in the process of how we develop mission statements. It has to be fast-paced. It has to be engaging. You have to get the right stakers, stakeholders involved. And I love your analogies. I love the ARY at the end of it. I think that's, that's a great way of describing it. 
from a, a language perspective. I think the other reason why people have a bad rap or associate a bad rap around mission statements is because they're not used. They feel like the flavor of the month. They feel like we have to do this every year to be able to appease the board of directors. We have to put it on our website, so let's go crank something out. So there's two hits against us with this respect of mission statement creation. I really do think that if you can create, moving to your second question about a mission statement that is compelling, that was fun, that was uplifting, that the process of doing it brought us closer to meaning, closer to teaming, and that we felt really positive and hopeful about what we were all about, then if we make sure that we engage people in a process to follow through on that, that this mission statement becomes like the hub of a wheel on a bicycle. And all of our strategies and goals and tactics come off of that hub and that we use this on a regular basis to help us make key important decisions. And what I've noticed in some planning sessions with companies is that they often will go right to goal setting and strategy without doing the mission statement piece of first. And then we stumble over ourselves like, well, wait a minute, why are we having such a hard time with this? Well, because we haven't taken care of these bedrock decisions first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, this is, and when I work with organizations and clients, I'll say like, what job do you want your mission statement to do? Because there's this assumption about what it is. Now I've had, you know, clients who ultimately are like, you know, initially we only want it to be for internal, uh, you know, consumption. That's all well and good. But what generally happens is it is created by an internal audience kind of it ends up being for an internal audience by extension. And then people put it on the website. So now we've gone from internal alignment, hopefully, to it being externalized. But if you don't have that express intent from the get-go, your poor mission statement's doing a job that it was that it didn't sign on to do. Right. And then we get into what you were talking about, which is that you know, you know, strategic planning and we're tripping all over the purpose, and then everybody gets very frustrated. Yes. What about similarities and differences? You know, and I, I guess I'm thinking about different types of companies, but also you've worked in, in a variety of different countries and cultures. Is there a difference? Is there more similarities or differences in terms of how folks think about connecting purpose and their people? Yes. And that's a, a much longer answer, I'm sure, to your question. But the, the culture is going to inform how we view purpose and mm -hmm. how we view vision. So although I never did any sort of strategic planning in mainland China, although we did do training in China uh, around leadership, but that particular culture, those mores, those political and economic systems are going to inform how people view what their purpose is and view what their mission is. And so I think that the mission statement is always a subset or certainly aligned to those larger cultural norms and mores. And you have to take that into account. It's, it is a reflection of the people. It's a reflection of, of the thinking. And it's going to change based on whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit or what the kind of work that you do or the kind of community you're involved in or what country you're from or even what language you speak. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love the, the nod to culture. So you do leadership development and then also organizational development. Do you, when you work with leaders, do you have them create a personal mission statement? Often, yeah. When we do, say, a, a larger scale culture work or it could be uh, organizational development, 
my sense is that these are all scaled. These are all connected. So, you know, the best run organizations are run by people who have a personal mission that they can align to. When you're doing a mission statement with a team, I think it's important to align what is that person's purpose, those values of the individual, and can we align them? Can we say, in order for me to fulfill my personal vision or my personal purpose or mission, I get to do that to satisfy what I'm all about, but it also just so happens to connect with what the organization's all about. And so now I've got this alignment. I serve self in the process of serving others. And now all of a sudden there's, there's connection and, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Daniel Pink talks about this in his book, Drive, that that third motivator, he talks about autonomy, uh, mastery, and purpose. Mm -hmm. Now we're connected to a purpose that's greater than ourselves. I think even Gallup talks about this, that we now are feeling like our life has meaning beyond serving myself. Maslow, you know, the higher order of things. Now I feel like I'm part of a greater community that I get supported by and I also support. And when that alignment happens, boy, they're rocking real time. Yeah, I had um, Akhtar Bacha on the show a little while ago, and he he is now a colleague of mine, um, fellow faculty member at the University of Washington, but in a prior iteration uh, of Akhtar's career, he was head of philanthropy for Microsoft. And he's coming out with a new book. Oh, goodness, I'm going to get the exact title. It's called wrong. Purpose Shift. Or shift. It's the it's the me to mind shift. Was that the one You're about mind shift or it purpose? is about it's about mind shift, but it's about shifting from a me, me to a we mindset. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. One, I just you know the me to we is always kind of not alliterative, but it's like it does sound good, doesn't it? You know, it does sound good. <laughs> yeah. It does sound good. But he he is so passionate about that, and then eloquent about putting in the context in, in different in a variety of contexts really because he's done so many things and we are recording this sheltered in place and i i mean what i'm sensing you know from and again my very limited very privileged vantage point is a yen for that shift to the we mindset in the collective but with this tension of but like we cannot be in community physically very much, uh, or or if we are, we need to be really mindful of that. And I think that there's a tension in that that is that is similar to what I've seen with, you know, clients that I work with, which is you know you line up all the individual you know the leaders' mission statements or the team members' mission statements, however deep you're going to go with that. And then there is this moment that I find where you know this depends on how you sequence this work, obviously, whether it's you know which one you do first. But there, there tends to be a moment where if you do it where you do the leader's mission statements first and then you do the organizational mission statement, I don't know if you found this, that there's this moment where there will be leaders who won't see themselves in the organizational mission statement in the same way possibly that they thought they would see themselves. Um, and I'm curious if you found that in your work and how you, you know, guide organizations through that. Yeah, if you have a certain level of trust in a team where that kind of honesty and authenticity can come out, where the individual has that aha moment and goes, wait a minute, I figured out what my purpose is, and it's obviously not to be here. Yeah. That happens. And when we do, you know, this sort of work, large-scale culture work, when we're talking about organizational development those types of topics, we always tell the leaders, be prepared that there will be people on your team 
right now that might even be considered sacred cows, so to speak, that one, they will select themselves out because they just don't feel aligned with the direction you're taking the organization, or they can't rise up to it for whatever reason. Or you might have to say, we need certain level, certain levels of behavior and leadership, and we now know what that looks like, and you no longer fit. We will give you a chance to make those adjustments, but if you can't, we will have to let you go. There was an organization down in Phoenix that we've done a lot of work with, and the, the leader was very clear. <laughs> he stood up in front of the entire group of 40 people, and he said, in the next two years, I would suspect that 30% of you will not be here. Not, okay. because we don't, not because we don't love you, and we do. It's because you've sorted yourself out, or some of you just may not fit anymore. And so it was like, all right, you're right. And, and that was true. He was absolutely spot on. I love that he was just so clear on that because you know uh, through clarity at natural fall it is attrition right and yet well you know as humans we crave progress and resist change at sort of fundamental level so it's it's quite rare for a leader to be able to see that far down and be like really quite okay with that i don't know it seems like a lot of leaders interpret attrition negatively as opposed to uh, as opposed to it being healthy and don't you want, I mean, this is sort of waving a magic wand and this can't always be the case, but don't you want an entire collection, a team who every single one of them is here, like clear on how they, they align with mission. Absolutely. You, know, you can be there and do you want to be there? Yeah. And I think that's one reason that's the hope that everybody has. Yeah. And we talk about it very openly, but the work to make that happen is sometimes painful because we have to engage in conflict. Yeah. We have to get clear, like, this is what we want, and this is what we don't want, and if it doesn't fit, then we need to make changes. So I think that a lot of times we create these environments, wonderful environments for engagement, and we want people to come in. Come in, play in our sandbox. We want you there. We're going to create all these different opportunities for you to engage with us, but engagement is a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So is accountability. And so mm -hmm. some of us may not want to play in our sandbox. Some of us may not want to hold to the standards of the team and the organization, the mission. Does that mean that we keep them on? Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe now all of a sudden that becomes one of the issues we now have to deal with. And then, you know, the mission statement creation work and culture work and all the other stuff that we're doing has a bad rap because we say the right thing, but we don't follow through with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you, I, I have, um, my clients tease me about having such, and my students tease me about having such a specific way of approaching mission statements because I have a verb first approach to mission statements. So uh -huh. we don't write a mission. I don't, I don't ever have clients write a mission statement out of the gate. I have them pick a verb. Yes. Do you have a similar, it won't be the same thing, but, or do you let them write a sentence? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what we do. <laughs> you know, take it, run with it and turn it upside down. And this is always evolving, right? But yeah, yeah. Um, what we first do, one of the things we do out of the gate is we give everybody a chance to ask themselves. I mean, you can do a SWOT analysis and, you know, kind of get where we are right now and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's sort of like the first starting off point. When we finally get into this whole thing about mission statement creation, we break it down into five questions. Real simple stuff. Who are we? What do we do? For whom do we do it? How do we do it? And then the big kahuna, why? And you put all of that into one statement? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How and many so, words do they get? Cause my, my, I, I only allow 10 words. <laughs> and it's great. We all have a different, <laughs> way of, you know, sometimes up it. to 15. Yeah. Well, so let me back up though, how this happens. So then we give everybody a chance just to start off with words, answering those questions. Who are we? And they have three by five cards and they write down the answer to that question. They got to really think about it. And then they go to another card. Maybe it's a purple card and write down the answer to what do we do? And then we have another card and like, for whom do we do it? And then we, they fit, they get all these cards done, these five cards done. And then we collect them all up, shuffle them up. And then we get people into teams and then one team is the who are we team. The next team is the what do we do oh, team, nice. and so on and so forth. They review all this information. They have to think about it. They have to then summarize it on a flip chart. And then we all take a look at all this information, this data. We got to talk about it. And sometimes the talking is the most important part because this is where the decisions happen. There was one organization, I remember several years ago, they were in public, they were in um, promotional um, materials and so forth, the hats and scarves and the coffee mugs and all that sort of stuff. Schwag. Yeah. They were great in that. They were one of the bigger players at the time. And they all thought that they were clear on who we serve, i.e. who our clients were. And then we went through this whole process that we went, wait a minute, half of us think that our clients are this and the other half thinks our clients are that. That's why we've had so many problems on execution. That's why we've had so many conflicts around what we should be pricing these things because half of the people thought that we should give it to anybody who could write a check. And the other half said, no, we should give it to only this type of high level client. And they didn't realize that they had all these assumptions. And so what this does is it helps uncover these assumptions. And a lot of discussion happens. And finally, we get to the point where we get them teams to then write their own mission statement based on answering those five questions. And then we, after the end of that, individuals have to go up and vote on each of these mission statements breaking it down into who are we, what do we do, for whom do we do it, how do we mm. do it, why, on a one to five scale. And then numerically, we write, we see from a numbers perspective, which is the best mission statement, which often is not, they get fives in all areas, right? They sometimes have to, we have to. Oh, so there's a valence, a one to five yeah. valence. Yeah, okay, so we it. then have to move it around a little bit. Now, do you let people use dots? A really important facilitator question. <laughs> Are Sometimes. you pro sticky dot or anti sticky dots? You know, uh, <laughs> I use them sometimes. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's not like the thing I, I, I have, like I've got a big box full of stuff. And that's not necessarily the thing I do a lot of. But, you know, there's other ways you can do voting. You can do electronic voting. You can do other types of things. But underneath the sticky, uh, the sticky dot, which I hope all listeners understand what I'm talking about. It's a little bit 90s even. It is. But, you know, like literally it's a little dot that, you can stick on posters or big sheets of paper or whatever. But underneath that actually is a really substantive question, which I feel like isn't always surfaced. And I like to surface really early in the process, which is what is the decision-making approach that you're going to take? And is it, you know, is it democratic? So, so like everybody gets a dot, well, that's democratic. And then what you're implying in that is that everybody is an equal decision-maker. Right on. So I'm, I'm curious how you, do you elevate that early in the, you know, when do you elevate that in the process and then how does that flow? Brilliant. Thank you for bringing that up. No, that's a really, really good point because a mission statement meeting, whether it be two days, half day, whatever you're doing. Some listeners were just like, two days run a mission statement. Are you kidding yes. me? Yes, people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but it could be fun. Oh, tremendous. We have a tremendous, a lot of fun. I we can do tell that you have a lot of fun with your clients. Well, we also, it's what we do, this is a sidebar to your question, so I want to get back to this this other one, but 
I think that as you develop your mission statement, you need to continue to develop your team. Mm. That they have to happen at the same time. Now, you can't accomplish everything in the matter of a couple of days, right? right but right. we sprinkle in other types of things that help the communication, mm -hmm. the trust, the problem solving, and to your point, the decision making. So yes, this is a, this is a meeting like any other meeting. Maybe it's two days. But even an hour-long meeting, you need to clarify up front, what is the decision-making process? Is this consensus? Great. There, nobody leaves until we all decide. But maybe the, maybe the outcome is not appropriate for consensus. You know, the, the fire is coming in the house. <laughs> Do we need to have a consensus right now? No, we need somebody to you know, take control and yeah, lead us yeah. through this, right? Or is this a, a meeting where we want just a lot of ideas and then a subject matter expert or the team leader or a small group would decide from there? Absolutely set that up in front because it informs the role that these people need to play. And then they don't have to feel upset that their idea didn't get used yeah, because yeah, yeah. it was never intended to be consensus. Yeah. I mean, I, with the process, will often say I'm, I'm democratic at the start and draconian at the finish. And what I mean uh -huh. by that is, I, love it. I think you just, you know, you want everybody's, it's the mission for crying out loud and the vision and you know, depending on what work you're doing, but you want everybody to be able to have their voice heard. And then I'm super clear, that doesn't mean that your word, because inevitably everybody has a word that they end up wanting to see in the mission statement. This is also, by the way, how we end up with semicolons and mission statements, which should never happen in my book. <laughs> but Good. if you say up front, hey, hey, we want to know how you feel about this. This is important. Your voice, your heart, all of it is important. But please, you know, just know that there's going to be a process. And at some point, what comes out the other side, you may not see your word, but please know that everything that you share with us is factored in. The adoption uptake impact of those statements is so much freer, easier, greater, just by that little, and it's just like a little teeny expectation management piece. So, yeah. So to speak on that real quickly, I think yeah, that yeah. if you, you want to include the people who are going to be in charge of implementing the mission statement in the creation of it, and I think you were alluding to that, yeah. that you yeah, have yeah, much yeah. better alignment. Oh, yeah. People like, oh, wait a minute. I'm now on the front line. I'm a manager of 20, whatever. I help create this. Yeah. And in a way to paraphrase that is I see myself in that statement. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's so, that's empowering. You know, that gets through, you through the tougher days. Yes. Okay. I want to be sure that we talk about intuition. Okay. Can't only talk about mission statements, although I love <laughs> them. Um, you have a podcast called The Business of Intuition. Yes. So the English essayist, who you probably know, Thomas DeKinsey, who wrote a lot about intuition. So he said that intuition is a, quote, a superior mode of cognition, which is both simultaneous and holistic. I read that and was like, well, that sounds amazing and awesome. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. And yet intuition, I feel like somehow in a business context is often seen as less than or not as rigorous as, you know, data and facts, empirical evidence, those types of things. So, you know, does intuition have a marketing problem? <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And I think it has gotten a bad rap, maybe in the same way that mission statements have. And I actually do think that there is a relationship between mission statement creation, which is all about purpose and what, what, where there is meaning and this idea about intuition. Um, we've had such a, a long run on having companies say, we want data-based decision-making. 
we want science to back up what we decide to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I would say absolutely. I just think that it's not the whole story. I think that we're missing other types of information. I think we're also not engaging people in conversations simply because they're not that subject matter expert. I've been in board meetings and I've been in meetings with executives and there's somebody in HR who has a strong feeling about something but doesn't speak up because that person doesn't have facts to back up that particular idea, so they keep quiet. And when people start keeping quiet, then you start having organizations stop tapping into that whole innovative engagement power that they should be doing and good ideas and extra effort starts being cut off. And that's when you start having problems. And I, then it becomes a fewer group of people that are actually leading the organization versus the, the whole organization sort of leading itself. Yeah, the other troubling thing about that, well, one, and I, I want to underscore this for listeners, especially those of you who are leading organizations or teams, which is folks who, and it's often kind of a contrary, possibly a contrary view in a conversation, and then they don't have evidence or data to back it up. It is based on their lived experience. And when those, if there isn't the culture, to go back to your earlier point, a culture that supports speaking up, they go quiet. And that is such a bummer for that individual. And, you know, I just, I, I can, uh, I can envision many, you know, working with so many clients and see these individuals and it breaks my heart because they don't feel safe enough to, to say, you know, my spidey senses, so I do it often, my spidey senses are telling me this. But the interesting thing also about intuition is, so let's go back to this idea, like you're going to do a, a mission statement and you do a SWOT analysis, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I'm sure all of our listeners know that, but just every time we use an analogy, we should say what it means, which is very externally focused and rightfully so to a certain extent. But I also feel like we are so oriented externally. What do you think? What are other people doing? You know, what are other companies doing? And that there is a liability in relying too much on external factors and not being really centered on internal wisdom and the intuition and the lived experience, which is an asset that sits within every single company and organization. Well put. That concerns me. I don't know. It, concerns <laughs> me. it bums me out. I'm like, you're so oh, I know. a huge asset. What are you doing looking externally all the time? And part of this is FOMO. I mean, fear of missing out just has seeped its way into company culture in such a way. It's like, oh, you know, what's our competitor doing? What's so-and-so doing? It's like, I don't, what are you doing? What are we doing? Right. Well, you know, our process around what you just described, you know, keeping things focused on data and facts and information is really a function of our mind. And the mind is really focused on security and control. And so if that's what we're all about, then that's what we're going to get. Intuition is more about freedom and possibilities. And so it's a great way ooh, to generate. Ooh, wait, say that again, Dean. That's so good. Freedom and possibilities. Okay. So intuition is about freedom and possibilities and data is about safety. But the mind. The, the mind. The, the, okay. the mind, the mind in, the, in the big M, you know, the left brain, the, the mind around our thoughts. You know, we think we talk about thought leaders you know, these are ideas. These are okay, but I'm just saying security and control is really aligned up with the mind and then intuition is more aligned up with freedom and possibilities. And there is, there's a different word. There's a different lightness when you start imagining freedom and possibilities versus security and control, right? Is one predicated on the other? No. Wait, I'm thinking I about think Maslow's hierarchy and how we need to feel safe. Like right. you have to cover off on the bottom of the pyramid in order to self-actualize at the top of the pyramid. 
I don't think that they're related. I think okay. that you do not necessarily have to have safety and intuition be somehow mutually inclusive that you like, okay, I got to get myself safe. And then once <laughs> myself is safe, then I can be intuitive. Well, when you say it in that tone of voice, Dean, it sense. <laughs> right? No, it just doesn't feel right, right? But I could still make a case for it, though. <laughs> oh no, I'm sure you can. But I would use a different tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm marketing my point very well. I'm sorry. But you, you have a sense. You have a sense, even yeah, if you yeah, don't I'm have security. That. You might be able to, and I, I think that the language. You're a linguist. You understand language better than most. Is that we don't have words to do the work of describing intuition. It doesn't show up with our mm -mm. brain to find a word. We struggle with it. That's why we say, I don't know what it is. It just sort of feels right or it feels wrong. And, and it's, it shows up physically in our gut. Yeah, yeah, very That's why we say our gut. It's not just a, a, a word. It's, there are biological reasons why there is a word that says that's in my gut. There, we have tension in our shoulders. We have deep breath happens when we all of a sudden find truth. When we find truth in something, there is a release. The release is, at least I'm there. It doesn't mean our world has changed. I still might be in COVID-19. I still might be locked down in week 17, but at least I'm now standing. I think it's week 204,090. <laughs> That's what it feels like, right? I think yeah. you've lost track. I'm just Yeah. But, you, but the point is, that when you hit truth, you feel a sense there of is that There's like, oh, I can settle into that. Yes. So intuition does not have to happen after you feel secure. Yeah, I remember working with a researcher, and we were talking about intuition and that gut instinct. And she pointed out that actually our gut instinct is data. It is millennia of, mm. of data, lived experience, that accumulates. And each of us sort of possesses in this lifetime, some sort of share of that. And then we scaffold on our own lived experience. So a gut instinct is data. It's just not necessarily externally quantifiable. Yes. And we like to be able to touch stuff, you know? Absolutely. It's that, it's I can't touch that. And we like to touch stuff because we want to have control over it. Yeah, I want me to I can see table. it, smell it, touch it. It's got to be real. Yeah. And there's so many things that are far beyond that level of understanding, the pattern recognition, being, you know, it's almost the subconscious starts getting involved. It's like I go running and what I do after the end of my run is I often, not all the time, but there's some things, ideas start to come into my mind because I'm not trying to think of anything. Yes. This is why I do values-based consulting, actually, one of the many reasons, but it's because I say to clients, I don't think you want me to bill you hourly because most of my best ideas for you are going to come when I'm running, when I used to be able to run, doing Nordic track, maybe a little uh -huh. bar boxing. <laughs> uh, I don't know, running some hill. Like, really, do you want me to bill you for those hours? And they're always like, well, no, because you're working out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting some really good ideas for you. Right. Right. Because of it, you know, jiggers your brain differently. Exactly. You've got to break the pattern of thinking. Otherwise, you will continue to be addicted to the same pattern. Yeah. And I think, Dean, that word is really important, which is that we do get addicted, meaning we can't stop something right. to our thought patterns. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of cognitive behavioral therapy for that re reason. And, you know, dialectical behavior theory and that ability to disrupt and interrupt those thoughts because, and I don't mean that in a judgy way, like we're addicted to bad thoughts. I have this too. We all have this, but how do you interrupt it 
and reprogram it is so important. Well, often it's just, you have to physically do something yeah. different. Like, why do we always shave with the right side of my face first and then go to the left? You know, why do I go to the grocery mm -hmm. store on that street versus this street? Why do I always floss my teeth in the exact same way every morning? Right. Why do I do it that way? Why don't you just disrupt it? So literally the neural pathways in your brain starts to get rewired to other parts of your brain because you're now doing something physically different than you've done before. That's why travel is so cool. Mm. Rewriting neural pathways. You have new experiences. You meet new people, new cultures, new languages, new, new foods. You know, all those things are so important. And that's why this is so tough with this COVID is that we're staying in the same yeah. pattern every day. Yeah. And re I mean, really getting patterned for most Yeah. People. And there's also, speaking of safety and security, for many yes. people who like structure, Absolutely. who like patterns, you know, please don't hear Dean and I say, break all your patterns. But I will give a, I will out that yesterday morning, I generally floss left to right <laughs> on the bottom. And that, you know, and I tried it in the opposite direction and was like, man, this is uncomfortable. I do not like this. <laughs> I know. So it's like, that's so stupid and little, but I could feel, you know, if I can quiet my mind and my body's just enough, it was like, oh, it's, I mean, it's super cool when you do those little silly things enough, you can feel the neural pathways almost like, you know, like giving each other a hug. Different. It is true. My, oh, uh, my brother-in-law is the name Douglas Deal. And he actually has, we have a podcast, as you mentioned, called The Business of Intuition. And his episode went live today. And I was listening to it again. And he's a fine artist, nationally known, but he also has a lot of background in running businesses. And so he's very analytical, but he's also can use this very creative side and this very intuitive side. And he was telling me, he said, you know, I could actually feel my brain go from the left side to the right side of thinking. It's a physical feeling when I start having an intuitive experience versus an analytical experience. And he, I wish everybody could see you. Dean's on video. <laughs> he has this like thing going on with his hands where he's like got both hands going from one side to the other side to one side to the other side. It was uh, awesome. And I, and I'm sorry, y'all missed that. I started to pay attention to that myself and I'm beginning to realize there is a physical sensation mm -hmm. in your thought patterns inside of your head going from one side to the other. And if you pay attention to that, I think you can start to also open up to more intuitive thinking and more intuitive experiences. Yeah. I want to ask you about creativity, actually, before, okay. before I let you go, because creativity plays such a key role in marketing and you have an acting background. And so based on this, I inferred, I would say an assumption, but I, you know, I'm going to say inferred instead, because it sounds better, that you have some <laughs> sort of creative streak or value creativity. I could be wrong on this. But I am curious if you've, you know, your thoughts on the relationship between creativity and intuition. And have you found anything to say that like creative people are more intuitive or intuitive people are more creative? Like, is there any interplay there that listeners might be able to twig onto or learn from? I'm just going to take a stab at this because I can't, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist. Uh, and, and that's one reason why I wanted to do the podcast so I could learn more about this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just to get the word out. I think that the creative process is certainly intuitive for sure. And it has a focus on the item in which you're trying to be creative. You, you are a writer, somebody's a painter, somebody's a dancer. And so the intuitive process has this creative mesh that's going in a direction, going in their mission, <laughs> going in their North Star. And it and it's, has the focus. And I do actually think that that is part of what intuition is about, is that there is a question. Mm -hmm. that we're asking that the intuition 
is going out to scan the answer. And it might come now, might come in the middle of your sleep. And so in a way, we're giving the question, how do I turn this white canvas into a beautiful painting of the mountains? How do I turn this dance move into something that's really artistic? So we've actually asked the brain to go to work for us on something. And I think that intuition can actually happen the same way. It may not necessarily be about a piece of art, quote, quote unquote, but it could be about what should the vision be for our company? How do I engage my customers in, our, in you know, the development of new product? Um, how do we serve our community in ways now that we've never been able to? How do we pivot in an industry that has been shut down by yeah, COVID-19 yeah. and how do we create a new approach to serving our community and at the same time making money at this? So I think we have to ask the question and then let the intuitive mind go to work, the creative mind go to work that at some other point might come back with some sort of ideas if you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're going to voice that and vocalize it, that you're in a culture where you feel like you can do that and not have to have a spreadsheet necessarily to back it up. Absolutely. You know, I feel like if we're going to talk about intuition, we also have to talk about sort of propensity to project. So to say that our experience will work for somebody else, you know, which is a bit of a liability. So just that there's a difference between projecting your opinions. I always use the example of, because I've worked with so many organizations where they, they'll have like a really young, you know, marketing coordinator who's like, let's do events. Everybody's going to, I love <laughs> events. Don't you love events? And, yeah. you know, those of us who have, you know, kids and, you know, you just like, or you're introverted or you can't get there now, you know, we're like, I'm not going to an event. So it's a classic, like, bit of projection that happens that isn't necessarily strategic. But the intuition and, and, and strategy and being strategic are very complementary. I think as long as you're aware of that propensity to project that you can mitigate that and yet still surface, again, I think of intuition as an asset, an internal asset. I think you can mitigate that self-promotion or that, that projection, as you were saying, mm -hmm. if what you are really tuning into is um, a question around how do we make sure that we engage everybody? How do we allow for all? What is the highest and best for this team? What is the highest and best for this organization? What is the highest and best for this person? And if that's your, your intent and your intuition starts bringing you back some ideas around that, then it's not about me. Mm. I am not here to serve self. I'm here to serve something higher than myself. I'm here to serve the community of us versus the singularity of me. And when you have that sort of idea around what intuition is and you feel that, there's a sense of like, okay, then what you do project out, what you do communicate is in service. It's not in promotion. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's fantastic. All right. I ask every guest this last question. So the history and the root of the word inspiration means to breathe in, so to have breath, and motivation means to take action. So I am curious. So we need both. We need breath in order to take action. What inspires you and what motivates you? Mm. <laughs> There's so many things that inspire me. Beauty inspires me. A natural resource, you know, the outdoors inspires me. And um, people inspire me. Uh, their, their awareness, their insights, their, their joy, their love of life. I'm very inspired by other people. Ideas inspire me. I'm giving you more than one answer. That's okay. <laughs> Motivation is to contribute. I want to contribute. I want to be a part of. I want to be included. I want to include others. I want to build community and to fulfill on why I think I'm here and why others are here. 
And it's really more than just, a, it's about joy and it's about um, self-expression, it's about freedom and it's about contribution. Love that. You're a busy guy, Dean, and I appreciate you taking time Thank you. to be on the Marketing for Good podcast to talk to us about intent and intuition and to humor me and to have a long chat about mission statements because I really <laughs> do feel like they're important. I love them. They're great. They're good. Thank you. High five. All right. Thank you so yes. much. It was and lovely. Yeah. Thank you, Purpose Driven listeners, for joining us. Do good, be well, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.